Let's Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Beyond the Album Cover with yours truly, Jarrell Mason, better known as Jay Mace, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. With me right now, I have my brother from another mother. This interview right here is long overdue. He's been behind the lens with some of your favorite artists from New Edition, Bowlegged Little Full Force. The list goes on and on. He's going to give you his resume more in depth as we get into this interview my man my brother from another mother my compadre mi amigo troy hughes aka wonder troy welcome to beyond the album cover and appreciate you for coming on hey thanks for having me man it's a pleasure to be here jay for real no problem and then we were just rapping uh while we were about to start this interview that today is Big RD's birthday, Ronnie DeVoe, new edition, BBD. So salute to you, Big Ron. Happy birthday and many more. Yes, indeed. Peace. Uh, yes, sir. Ronnie DeVoe, happy birthday, boy. It don't even matter what age you are. You know, you He's forever 21. He's forever 21. <laughs> yeah, in store signing autographs at the mall still. You know what I'm saying? You know. <laughs> don't forget the pumps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and make sure you have your backstage pass. So if you listen to the Heartbreak album, you know what we're talking about. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. How did you get started with your career and being behind the scenes? Was it something you wanted to do or was it where I wanted to be in the forefront but decided to take this route being behind the scenes with the camera? Now, let me tell you something, man. I, it just goes back to the days of Willowbrook High School where it all started for me. Now, like I said, I'm from Philly originally, but in a nutshell, I had... Um, you know, I grew up, man, I love music, man, and I was smitten once I heard the Jacksons. Uh, 1976, uh, they performed on TV, and I remember I was trying to watch the Flintstones, my brother flicked the dial, you know, and he watched this, and I just got hooked, man. I was, they was, they was performing Jump for Joy off the Going Places album, and I just, I never forget that, and I was, you know, that weekend I went to my father's house, man, he made me, you might be a little too young for this, he made me eight track tapes of the Jacksons. I used to listen to these things day and night and harass with my brother. Um, I would I'd sit there and watch the Electric Factory on public access on PBS or whatever. It was called Channel 12 in Philly. But I would watch that and I would watch how they sound out words. Like they would be like, bah, at. So I would look at the album and be like, jack, at. Sons, you know, and I would, you know, and I basically taught myself how to read. But really what I did was I taught myself how to read album covers, specifically the sound of Philadelphia, you know, <laughs> you know, the Jacksons going places out, the Jackson album, Destiny. And then, you know, then I start going backwards. You know, I was born in 73. This is 1976. I'm three years old. And then I'm like, how? Wait. And then I'm listening to ABC in 76, you know, like that. But fast forward things, you know, as, as time progresses, the Jacksons turn into new edition. I remember the first time I heard Candy Girl, I was smitten. You know, I was like, man, I remember I was sitting in the back of my dad's Golden LeBaron. You might be a little too young, 1983 LeBaron. And I mean, that came home. My father was like, oh, this is five young guys from Boston. I'm like, wow. So I took my balance and I gave it back to my dad. And I said, well, you go to the record store, you buy me this 12 inch. And, you know, from that, you know, we later on, um, we moved to New Jersey. New Jersey, Willingboro High School, we had an audio visual club. We had an actual television station in the school. I just lived to go to TV class, you know, so we would. You know, I'll be in this thing and they would say what they want us to do. And every free moment we got, me and my uh, fellow classmates, we would make videos, we would do whatever. I had a knack for 
lighting. I had a knack for the camera work and learning how to do stuff. So whatever I knew that I was going to do had to be some form of creativity, but some form of videos. And, you know, I used to, you know, sit there and around the time Troop Attitude album came out, like I was a Troop fan from, you know, from the from the start. And little did I know that they recorded Mama Sita. And um, I just like that. They recorded that in Philadelphia. You know, Gerald LeVert, Mark Gordon, and Eddie LeVert wrote and produced those songs. And they actually recorded them in Philly, you know, little did I know that at the time. But, you know, but that, that true attitude album came out, that was like any heartbreak all over again for me. You know, that that just inspired me, whatever. I started a dance group. We was doing the moves and stuff like that. I ended up managing the group. Then I ended up in charge of the, the lighting department at the high school. So again, you know, stage to lighting the stage, you know, the music. And I'm seeing things. I'm like, wow, you can make this delights and stuff. I could do the whole stage just to just watch the concert. So it'd be a regular talent show. And I'm back there freaking these lights, working like a, you know what I mean? Like a, like a musician, you know, seeking everything up with the lights and everything like that. So everything I had to do had to be creative. It had to be extra, you know. When I entered um, my um, senior year, I graduated in 91. So when I actually, um, you know, when that, when that year started, it was 1990. So around like December 10th, 11th, around that time, I bumped into Wanya Morris from Boys and Men, who at the time was just Wanya, just this guy who looked out of place in our high school. He had to cut everything about him said Philadelphia, right? But we was in Willowbrook, New Jersey, and I'm just like, yo. And me, I used to study Black Bee Magazine, right on, word up. I used to study these things, bro. I could, I was like Meteor Man. I could pick up the magazine and like and absorb the whole, you know, everything in it. And I, I used to read to the point where I knew what they were selling in the back of the magazines, everything. So there was this one, I never forget, it was said Motown goes to Jamaica. It was like Chinese Gerald Alsmer, but it had an article and it had a picture like this big in black and white. And boys and men were wearing regular clothes. There were no bow ties yet. This didn't even happen yet. There was no styling for them. They were just like any other R&B group. And it said, Mo, new, Mo, new Motown group, boys and men. It didn't say Michael Bibb. It didn't even say that. You know, it just said new Motown group, boys and men. Looked at the picture real good. Next day I came in, I was like, you know, held the picture up to one, you know, and I was like, yo, is this you? He was like, oh my God, like he didn't know that article was, was, was there. So he's like, can I have a magazine? I'm like, sure, take it, you know? And little did I know, now prior to that, I was, I think, man, I, I, I was like, I didn't really know exactly how to get to where I wanted to be. And I really didn't see no way. Even though Philadelphia was 35 minutes away, New York was an hour and some change this way. It seemed like New York was light years away. And, you know, I, I didn't really think there was a way out in Philly. I didn't think it was a way to get to where I needed to be. I knew what I kind of wanted, but I really didn't have a vehicle or any way to get me close to believing. So what I thought I, what I was going to do was, you know what I mean? The girl, the girl, the, the high school girl that I was in love with had went out to Colorado. And I was just like, you know, realistically in my head, I was thinking, man, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead in the military and go out there, you know, and follow her. But, you know, I kind of met my gay man. And we he saved you from day. coming out to experiencing some high altitude in Fort Collins. So thank Wanye right. for that. So, so, yeah, yeah. So, so we didn't just talk music, right? This is the thing, like, you know, it wasn't like we just talked music. I was talking to him about music, but he was looking at me like, yo, who is this guy? Like, how does he know this stuff? You see what I'm saying? Like, I came mm -hmm. off like some industry veteran who just happened to be in a high schooler's body. You understand? Yeah. So that just impressed him. And then I would come in every day, like, you know, I was going through changes. I was 
part mental and I was part X clan. So, you know, I would come in every day with, with the Kente cloth sash on, you know, looking like I just rolled out, I coming to America, you know, and, you know, and stuff like that. But if you look on Boys and Men that um, Motown Philly 12 inch, they got the shearling long things. They got the Thames on, the shearling, um, long shearling trench coats, and they got the African sticks they got from Jamaica, you know. So it was like, you know, that 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 connection. So, you know, we just got to talk and talk and talking every day. And then if he was like, he needed to get out of class, he let me know. I come get him out of class. He hang out with us in TV class sometimes. And, you know, every weekend they would go rehearse with Brooke Payne. They would record with Dallas Austin. And, you know, you, we would hear stuff here and there, but this stuff was unmixed. It sounds just like what you heard on the album. Like, they were that good. And, you know, I used to always say things like, man, y'all, y'all gonna be huge, man. Y'all gonna sell 10 million. I used to say stuff like that all the time. They did, you know? And then I remember um, Motown Philly video shooting. That's what, that's what really, that's what sealed the deal for me. I, um, in a nutshell, I always tell Michael Bivens, like, yo, the reason why I'm here, you know, of course, you know, Wanya, you know, but if it wasn't for Michael Bivens, there would have been no boys to men. Then there would have been no, you know, if I would have came a whole other way, and I don't even know how that would have been because realistically, that what they with with boys to men gave me, shout out to Mike, shout out to Sean, Nate, and Wanya. But what they gave me was opportunity. What they gave me was a chance to see beyond what was what was visible because you know, exclusive right here, June seventeenth, I graduated. June eighteenth, I turned eighteen. My paperwork was signed to be in the military. As a minor, I had to read and go ahead and re-enlist the next day. They was coming for me June 18th. June 17th, we had Wanye's house with Nate, Sean, and Mike, and a couple of girls celebrating graduation. Midnight hit. They come downstairs and say, happy birthday. And I'm like, oh, my God, y'all knew it was my birthday? They was like, happy birthday, Nate. I'm like, what? Oh, man, me and they got the same birthday. You know what I mean? I think he's like two years older than me. But, uh, you know, me and they got the same birthday. But, again, from that video shoot to just the graduation and, you know, in, in that whole experience, you know, I, I took a leap of faith and I um, decided not to go. Shout out to my friend Jimmy Coulter who gave me a place to hide the next the next week <laughs> until everything blew over with the military. And uh, Jimmy Coulter just happens to be a world-renowned dancer. You know, he's a movie choreographer to step up one, two, a whole bunch of movies, guys in New York, internationally known from the UK to Japan, and my classmate, one of my great friends. Shout out to Jimmy Coulter. Yeah, and if you don't know, Uncle Sam will come not not knock and find you because they'll tell you as soon as you turn 18, you better sign that selective service. It is the law. And the funny thing that you mentioned about boys. Well, this, this was not selective service. This was literally they had me, but the contract wasn't valid until I turned 18. Just a hint note to everybody, contracts are not, you know, you cannot be held liable for a contract if you're a minor. And I was a minor when I signed. But you will be once you turn 18, yeah. though. Oh, bro, that, that day, if I turned 18, they came and got me, you know, I'd have been done, so I had to hide out. You have been on the first plane train smoking the boot camp. You know it. Yep. You know it, and it would have been, it would have been, a, you know, but, uh, you know, shout out to, you know, <laughs> she knows who she is. <laughs> yeah, Jane Doe. I'm sorry. Name with hell. Yeah, I'll make it up Protect the day. innocent. Yeah, so, I'll make it up um, yeah, so the funny thing about Boys to Man, and you mentioned the Motown Philly video shoot, that I didn't know this until looking back at the video years later, that Quest Love was the drummer in the video, and that they all went to the Creative School Performing Arts together, along with um, Amaro LaRue and a whole bunch of who's who of soon to be yes. Philly yes. superstars. Yes, yes, yes. Shout out to the uh, High School of the Performing Arts of Philadelphia. Uh, they listen, um, you know, Sean, 
graduated already. Nate and Mike graduated already. So they was just, you know, they were just waiting, buying their time and, you know, hoping this thing, you know, took off. Um, the, um, we shot inside, we shot at the studio called Metropolis Studios. We did the indoor sets there. We shot Penn's Landing in Philly in front of the racist establishment called Tino States. Later on, we found this out. Uh, but uh, we, we, we did, the first scene we rolled up on was South Street. You know, they say never miss the beat. My cooling on South Street, South Street's like this famous strip, you know. And um, I, I just remember, man, we go down there, we see that dude pull up and get out of his car and they hop in the bins. And I'm just like, man, you know, and I just start taking pictures. It was, it was everything I dreamed it would be. And then, you know, I told the story, you know, about how I um, conned the driver of the Winnebago to uh, give us a ride to the next location. We get in the, we get in the thing. This is Belvedere DeVos thing. Cause I saw their name on it. I was like, oh boy. And I said, hey, listen, uh, you know, and the guy's like, well, you got to ask the guy over there. So I went over to the guy, asked him something. I said, hey, in about two minutes, can you just, you know, give me the thumbs up. I'm going to go talk to my man over here. I just, you know, told him something like that. Because my friends just always, whenever we got into a bind, they would always like, Troy, work your magic. And I would have to go up and perform a Jedi mind trick. So what I did was, um, you know, I, I went over to the driver and I said, yo, you know, the guy looks over and he, you know, they boys run over, we jump in the thing, we back to eating the, the, the Cheetos and the, and, the, and the potato chips and everything, and we laugh and joke and taking pictures, like kids, you know, and then we get over to the location, we pull up, we look over, Van pulls up, Ronnie gets out, Ricky gets out, Michael Rivers gets out, I'm like, I'm in heaven, I'm in heaven, you know, another bad creation gets out, I'm, matter of fact, fun true story, and tell you how life works in 360, um, Chris Sellers from another bad creation, he had to be all of like 11, 12 years old, little guy, cool guy. You know, I met, I met every one of them. Shout out to another bad creation. But uh, we, we're still friends to this day. He come up, he come up to New York. He come up to, yo, I go get him. I go to Atlanta. He called me up, meet me at such and such. We go hang out, man, every time, every time. And this is just, like I said, you know, it, it's a trip. This, this crazy 29 going on 30 year career, you know, and I always just get overjoyed, man, whenever I run into somebody I started out with in the beginning or started out with, man, and we still alive, you know? Right. And it's all love, just like it was way back when. And I still archive everything, and I still control these memories. I still have all these memories, like, and, and on social media also, too, you know? It's not like um, I'm just somebody ramming a bunch of pictures together, sticking them up with music. No. I'm doing frame by frame. But 99.9% .9 of anything you see with my name on it on social media is my image. It is legit. And the funny thing you mentioned about uh, Viv 10 and the East Coast family, little fun fact for those of you that do not know, Yvette Nicole Brown, yes, Yvette Nicole Brown yes. from Community, yes. she was signed that to Viv 10 and yes, she was, was, with, yes, a, was. with a singer by the name of Big Ant. And it's crazy to yes, see how she has transitioned into acting and then into it came acting. back full circle for her when she played Michael Bivens' mom in the new edition story. Shout out, shout out. That's that's amazing. That is amazing. Um, and then look, uh, I'm gonna say uh, um, rest in peace, peaceful transition, Spin Bad. Spin Bad, uh, he was a DJ for BBD. Um, he's from the area. He passed away recently um, and he lost his mother two months prior. So rest in peace. But, you know, it, it, let me tell you something about the whole Bib 10 thing. Check this out. When I was in Cleveland, uh, out, I was out in Cleveland in, uh, I want to say August or September, uh, July. MG Brains. <laughs> My fellow Gemini. Coochie, coochie. 
Yeah, the first platinum rapper out of Cleveland before Bone Thugs and Harmony, you know, um, MC Brains, me and him are still cool to this day. And I met him on the, uh, when he came out, I met him with Voice to Men in Philly. Um, then I was on a little whistle jig run with, with him, with Sounds of Blackness and Mint Condition. And let me tell you something, uh, Todd saw who, who later, you know, managed uh, Faith 702, a whole bunch of other um, acts. But shout out to Todd Russo. Todd Russo was with Bib 10 as well. Todd Russo used to manage MC Brains. He's the, yeah. And so, you know, it was, it's like a this big thing, you know, it's 360 thing. Every time I'm in LA, I always, I always see Todd. You know, it's like a, it's like a nonstop perpetual family affair. So I tell anybody out there, man, in this business, you never know who's going to be who, and you never know when you're going to run into who. But, you know, right. it's best to be humble, maintain some form of humility, check your ego. And like I said, my, my biggest thing was this. I have no problem standing next to the man and shining the light on the man and mm. helping the man shine brighter because a lot of times people get caught up standing next to the man and think they the man. Not me. Play your position. <laughs> Got to play your position, man. Everybody can't be position. the lead singer. Everybody can't work the cash register. You got to have some people to work on the fries, do the lettuce, yeah, do the it. buns, do the burger. Know your role. Yep. Know your role. And then everything works like a fine well oil machine. I can't be sitting there with the camera and the lights and then saying, hey, when you get on stage at this point, you might want to do this. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I stay right in my lane. Right. And uh, I just had a chance to interview not too long ago, Kenny Whitehead from the Whitehead Brothers. He was telling me and that... I, yo, listen, listen, listen. Shout out to Kenny and Johnny, man, wherever you guys at. I love you. The industry did them dirty. Motown records did them dirty and you know you guys had one of the greatest debut well technically that wasn't a debut but the um that's that album y'all had serious on motown that's one of my favorites i still got that cd i can't find it the only thing i can get is um i think forget i was a g on certain platforms but that album was that was beautiful album man. something one serious love, uh, shout out to sister, sister dawn dawn whitehead man and the surviving members of the family man and and, and rest in peace to philly's own john whitehead senior you know? Yeah. yeah, but it's crazy to see how all of that talent came out of Philly, but we know that it kind of got the ball rolling with Philly International with Gamble and Huff, and then prior to that, yes, Cameo Parkway. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and look, and it's funny, too, because I see Kenny Gamble out a lot. First, well, I remember one time I was at Mike Tyson's uh, Broadway play, and I looked out in the crowd, and I saw Brother Luke, you know, Luke Mine, uh, you know, Kenny Gamble, and I was just like, you know, Wow. You know, and I and I told him the story about me learning to read on the back of those records. I even bumped into Dexter Wansell, who was a, a uh, he was a you know a resident producer at Philly International, and I was telling him how at three years old I could read his name and knew what he arranged on the Jackson's records and stuff like that. He just looked at me like, wow. But I was so honored to meet him because you know, there's there's just the the Philadelphia the sound of Philadelphia. What came out of there, man? I mean, history. I don't think they get enough credit. They were the Jam and Lewis of their era, the, the L.A. and Babyface of their era. What a distinctive sound those samples, you know? And their music is still getting sampled, sampled, played today, man. You know, much respect to those legends, man. Yep. I, you know, forever. Gamble and Hub, they're forever. still eating off of TSOP. And Don Cornelius stated in a retrospective piece about Soul Train that because he was so protective of the Soul Train name, he didn't lend it to the record, and that's why it was named TSOP. And he later said that was the biggest mistake ever. It should have been named Soul Train because it played every Saturday, and you had Indeed. to be done cleaning 
before you could sit down and watch that big train come through on your screen. And it gave yeah, everybody who didn't grow up in urban areas a sense of, okay, this is what we like to dance to. This is what we like to listen to. And Don Cornelius, I know people that danced on the show. He was a tough customer. He did not play around. No, Don was no joking. I mean, as, as you would see, like, and even the, the, the show like he touched on it, but, uh, Shout out to uh, Boleg and Lou and uh, Karen White because they've maintained a, a, a very, very healthy relationship with Don Cornelius throughout the years where a lot of artists that Don Cornelius put in a lot of key positions, you know, they just did what they did and moved on. But Boleg and Lou maintained a closeness with him throughout the years, Karen White as well. Mm -hmm. And you it's know, funny and that you mentioned Bo Legaloo as well, who I've had the chance to interview. And it was good to hear him talk about how they always had a rule full force there about every songwriting production credit, it was for everybody, not for one person. It was for everybody in the group. Six ways, man. Just imagine this, right? You know, that that's amazing because usually, I mean, hell, I did, there was a time that Jackson's didn't even split with Peacock Productions up until, but I think when Off the Wall hit, you know, Mike separated, you know, and all of a sudden you see MJJ Productions and Jack Music, you know, at uh, BMI, you know, he started doing his own thing. But that's a beautiful thing when you can keep it that way because every member of Full Force contributed, you know, in their way. You know, b did a whole lot of the Lisa Lisa music, a lot of the big hits. You know, Lou did the Pepsi stuff, but Baby Jerry did a lot of the pop stuff. You know, he did all, all that I have to give for the uh, Backstreet Boys. He did that song. He wrote that. Mm -hmm. And he don't walk around no big, oh, I, you know, he did it and he split that six ways. Right. You know, I thought, the one, I thought the one track that they did that was so underrated by this group who should have blown up more in America, but it was pre-Latin Explosion. It was Barrio Boys and it was the How We Roll album and the How We Get, I Get Lifted record, which was the first appearance of Fat Joe. Right. Now. Here's the funny thing, but some things are just before, you know, ahead of his time. And the Barrel Boys was definitely ahead of his time. Think about this. You know the group that really, that really, really, really um, brought that Max Martin sound that made it pop, who made it kick, and they were slightly just, just a tad bit too early? 3T. The, the Brotherhood album, I Still Bang, the Gotta Be You record, it was very Bashing Boys That was a huge hit. All around the world, it didn't really kick here like um, anything and why stuff like that when it hits here. But Gotta Be You was an international spash. Those guys was doing state, they were killing it overseas. And they're the ones that opened up the doors for the Backstreet Boys in sync because for anybody here with Backstreet Boys in sync, they were over there kicking down the doors and they came in right behind it. So everything sometimes I always tell people is about cycles and timing, you know? Right. Yeah, you come too early and it gets revisited later when it becomes more popular. Cause I did an interview recently with KG from the UK R&B group Eminate. And they were saying how they were always running the three T because they were huge. Like you said, in Europe, they were just as big as Spice Girls yep. take that. And then they yep. were seeing the rise of Backstreet and Instinct cutting their teeth yep. before they crap back big over here in the US. Yeah. Now think about this. They look, they, they did a full run. Um, Instinct and Backstreet, they were doing you know, international for about a year before anything even made it over here. That's why if you look at the early videos, they look like European style videos, you know? Mm -hmm. it's, right. it's, it's, it's neat. Right, but, it's neat. but I'm gonna trump that by saying they didn't put out a bootleg video that got airplay on BET before the pop world came and discovered like, hey, we got these guys that has 
the sound and stylings of New Edition with the pop faces, and I'm talking about new kids on the block, and they just exploded like gangbusters. But deep at the heart of the core, all five of them were R&B, and they weren't poppy at all. Right. You know what's funny? Now, uh, since I'm just a tad bit older, and I remember when I first saw Please Don't Go Girl, I thought, oh, these dudes is corny. But see, in my heart of hearts, when I knew what was going to happen was this, you know, I knew that New Edition was older, more mature, but they were white. You see what I'm saying? These guys are white. So it, it felt for me, it felt like if, if they catch a little spark, they are going to explode. And that's what happened. You know, but but again, it really wasn't competition for New Edition because New Edition was grown men. They were, you know, moving in a different direction, right. you know, and, you know, New Kids on the Block, you know, they, they were pop and, you know, so they got the uh, lunchboxes and, the, you know, and the, and the, and the media that kind of, you know, blew them up and it made them a novelty. And then they was able to just fall back and then come back, pick their spots when they come back and, you know, and do these amazing tours every summer, you know. Right. Yeah, but speaking of new additions, you know, no disrespect to them. No disrespect to new kids, you know, you know putting out numbers and everything like that. Because new but kids, it's, it's, it's the industry, and it is called the music business. You know, yep, it is a business and, and, first before anything else. Now, speaking of new addition, I saw the direction that Bobby was wanting to take in terms of sound with King of Stage. Not really the first half of the album, but if you listen to the title track, he had Mixed Master Ice from UTFO scratching. And that kind of sort of and gave Dr. you Ice, a Dr. Dr. Ice, Dr. Dr. Ice co-wrote. Shout out to Dr. Ice, a longtime friend of mine. Matter of fact, shout out to Dr. Ice, man. I'm going to tell you a funny story. When I was in high school and Doc came out with the Mike Stalker album in 1989, I wrote Dr. Ice, a fan club letter. Dr. Ice wrote me back, sent me all this stuff. Man, I walked around school like, yo. Remember those Dr. people, the fan club where you were right and you'll probably get you an 8x10, maybe a little glossy magazine. I got the 8x10. I got the, 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 the Mike Stalker snipe. He signed all the stuff for me, wrote me this letter. I used to have it in this big, you know, frame, big postal frame or whatever. But years later, Doc came to my, came to my father's house and I was showing him the stuff and, you know, Doc's a real dude, man, but he just said to myself, like, oh, my God. He looked at it. He said, yo, where'd you get this from? I said, Doc, you, you sent this to me from, you know, the thing, man. And he was like, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, what? He said, I got that letter you wrote me at home in a frame. Ain't that crazy? That That is so crazy, man. And um, speaking that is crazy. And look, I wrote, hey, wait, wait, real quick. Shout out the truth. I wrote John John a fan club letter. John John wrote me back. The Hammer Tour. They came to the spectrum. I got that. And I had decent seats, right? Decent mm -hmm. seats. I walked up to the security lady, showed her that letter that John John wrote me. She let me in a second row. Dude, man, come on. You know what I mean? And then look, look, John, 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 me and John John, matter of fact, me, Alan, Troop, Steve, Rodney, shout out to Reggie, wherever you at, man, one love. But, you know, Troop, we are like, you know, we all like brothers, man. I mean, legitimate brothers. I go out every time I'm in LA, I'm in the studio with Steve, I'm hanging with Alan. Um, I'm hanging with John John. I'm trying to find out what fine with Rodney at, you know. But we we know we are legitimate brothers. And we just matter of fact, one of the last shows before the breakdown, I was on a Millennium Tour. I did a show with Ralph and Johnny. I did one Bobby V, which was the actual last, but before that I did a show with Troop. We were in um, Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay, my neck of the woods, shout out to Raleigh, everybody in the 919. The funny thing that you mentioned about Troop, you know, Alan gave me my very first interview, and then after that, I had a chance to interview Steve and John. I heard Turner. that. You also, heard Chucky. Steve, Chucky, Booker. Chucky Booker, shout out to Chucky Booker. <laughs> 
Yeah, but it was crazy how Chucky told me that Turned Away was originally a troop record. I never knew that until he told me, and then Sylvia Rohn heard Turned Away, and she told Chucky, nope, this is going for you. And he was like, no, this is a troop record. But when he told Troop, like, hey, Turned Away is going for me. And they said, we want a song similar. And that's how we get Spread My Wings. Yeah, now look, and and, and Chucky won all across the board, because you just said a bunch of number ones right there. But I got one funny for you. You know another song that was supposed to be troops? You ready for this? Yeah, go ahead. Happy by Surface. Happy by Surface. You know what? I can hear Steve singing. I can hear Alan. I can hear Alan doing that, you know. Yeah. Now check this out. You know what Sylvie Brown said? That's too mature for you guys. And that's how Surface ended ended up um, recording for themselves. Yeah. Now guess guess where they was at when they was doing this though. Are you ready for this? Go ahead. Tito Jackson's studio, Tito Jackson's house. What? Yeah, it was at Tito's recording in his studio. Yeah, because listen, um, I forgot what year, but shout out to Mickey Benson. Um, David Pick Conley from Surface. His mother actually lives in the town, one bro. And um, David Pick Conley from Surface, he's um he's legally blind now. Mm-hmm. But um back in '98, I'm I'm in uh, Hampton, Virginia. Pick is running through the studio like he can see. Now, I just at this time, I saw him on screen scene. He was talking about how he was learning Braille and how he was losing his vision. But he was running around the studio, plugging wires up, patching wires, and running back behind the board. And I'm like, damn, I'm going to blind. That mug walked back and said, I am. I was like, oh, oh, you know, he can hear me, you know. And I was just like, wow. But um, he had... On the wall in the studio, there were a whole bunch of plaques and stuff. You see, you know, Reby Jackson, you see their plaques, Jermaine Jackson, all this stuff. A lot of Jackson, Jackson, Jackson pictures from Reby's kids wedding and everything like that. So Pick and um, uh, Bernard and David, they were they were all real tight with the Jacksons. Really tight. And check this out. It's funny thing, too. Let's Be Friends by New Edition. Pick and Bernard wrote that. Yeah, it has that surface sound, that that glide, that effortless flow to it. Because you always knew yep. a surface record, and then they did Don't Take It Personal for Jermaine, which I heard oh. was originally for Millie oh. Vanilli. But Frank Farian said no. That, look, look, all, all I know is this. Sometimes I wonder why Jermaine don't perform that song in his live show. I don't I, I don't know why. It was like, yo, that song is killer. Remember when Monica remixed just one of those days where Don't Take It Personal with that beat, man, that beat? Mm-hmm. Man, look. That, I think Will Smith sampled that for, I think, the Cruising remix, I want to say. I think he did yeah, that as well. Yeah. That record was a killer, but the most underrated album, I think, by anybody from the Jackson's camp was Randy's album, Randy and the Gypsies. Randy and the Gypsies. Shout out to Karen White. <laughs> she got a, a duet with uh, Randy on there called Love Thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but when I first heard Love You, Honey by Randy, to me, it sounded very much like Chucky Booker. It was it was dope. I mean, I think Randy, um, Randy, I, I was so looking forward to hearing more material from because Randy was probably music musically the most talented member of that family. It was Randy could play all the instruments. He could do whatever. You know, he was just he was. And, you know, you know, he had a solo album earlier on. I think somewhere around 79, 80, they did a solo working on him and he got in that car accident. Mm. He got in a car accident, a real bad car accident. They said he was never going to walk again, and they had to cut him out of the car with jaws of life. And he he, he not only um, survived, but when I was reading about the accident, you know, I didn't know what the hell jaws of life was. You know, I'm like seven, eight years old. But uh, 
he was so hell bent on making a full recovery that he didn't let nobody sob or cry over top of him. He, anybody that came in that room crying, he told them, "Hey, you gotta leave." You know, he he mentally prepared himself for the battle ahead, and you know, made it back. He was right. on the triumph tour. He was on the victory tour. You know. Right, but where I think Epic dropped the ball with the 2300 Jackson Street album was how come they did not release She as a single? I mean, oh, Teddy man. Riley oh, was white hot. And Dad gave song. Michael the Aaron idea Hall in his head, she. like, hmm, let me go ahead and get listen, with this guy and that led to Dangerous. Listen, listen. Um, Aaron Hall wrote She. Um, and if you listen to the way Randy's singing it, you can tell. You know, Aaron Hall had a major hand in uh, my prerogative. Aaron Hall is probably one of the most uh, underrated guys who pioneered and helped pioneer that New Jack Swing. Shout out to Timmy Gatlin because, like we know, uh, New Jack Swing was not created by one person. New Jack Swing was not maintained by one person. New Jack Swing was about three or four people, you know, that would be the Guy Collective, Timmy, Teddy, Aaron, uh, Molly Mog, also gives credit. And these guys took and flipped a whole new genre, you know. But um, right. I, I'm just going to say it like this. She was a dope song. You had Private Affair, 2030 Jackson Street. They had enough hits to really make that thing go somewhere. But I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that was the end of their contract. So whenever that happens, record companies ain't trying to push you no more. They ain't trying to see you, you know. So they fulfilled the obligation. Mm-hmm. Jermaine never signed to Epic. He was signed to Arista when he was allowed to do. So he was a four hire on the Victory album. That's why he couldn't appear in the videos because there was a lot of stuff going on with um, the president yes at the time and uh, Arista, right. Clive Davis. So Jermaine was for hire. Jermaine was for hire. But you know, you take you know, CBS, you take that notoriety, you use that to protect yourself onto your next, you know, the next project. So when he gets in the studio with Ellie and Babyface. They do nothing compared to you, that cohesion with him and Randy going back and forth. And he looks at LA Bayface like, hey, look, why don't I finish up my last record over there in LaFace since it's under Arista anyway, same building. And I think the most underrated uh, album, as you said, Jermaine Jackson, 1991, which they did the craziest thing ever was drop that thing close to dangerous because he got blown out the water on that one. But if you listen to that album, from start to finish, there's almost no skips. LA, that was some of Ellie and Babyface's finest works, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Now, and, with, and, and look, and look shout out to, um, you know, that whole LaFace family, because I was telling somebody a story the other day about how 1991, my second professional gig, that was the day I met Gerald LeVert, Full Force. I met five out of six members of Full Force that night. Um, I met Damien Dame. I was working freelance and working for MTV that night. But I met Damien Dame, the first act signed to LaFace Records. Rest in peace. They both died a couple years later, one year apart from each other on the same day. Crazy. But I also met this girl the other day. This pretty girl looked like somebody I went to school with. I asked her what her name was. She said, my name is Roseanne. It had like a Southern twang to her thing. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this girl is fine. Later on, I see her dressed like a clown. I'm like, what the hell? You know, and I'm scared of clowns. I was like, oh, my God. And I'm just like, damn, that was that little girl that was dance. I mean, that said she was a dancer and she's danced like a man. She danced for Damien Dame. Mm, eight months later, chilly. I'm at a, yeah, eight months later, I'm at a, um, it's Phyllis Parker. She was with my face record. She was a regional rep. And we're at this, this, this Wismajig promotion for this new group called TLC. Now, there was no video for Ain't Too Proud of the Bag yet. So they just in there meeting, greeting people and, you know, doing a little Wismajig. And 
I'm looking at this little, this cute girl, like, I know you from somewhere. You know what I mean? And, yo, that's what it was, Tilly. Mm, that's you put two and two. And if you look at TLC's looking aesthetic on ooh, on the TLC tip, they pretty much patterned themselves after BBD. Definitely. Look-wise. They definitely was a female, um, a blatant female, you know, replica of BBD. But at the time, I guess if you look at it, from when BBD came out, BBD was, you know, on a whisper jig at the time. And then they came through and just boom. And then, you know, what was crazy, too, was the reason why they gave Chili the name Chili was because she needed C to complete because they was already TLC with the girl named Crystal. So they had to, you know, Back boom. when they I'm were second nature. Like, yeah. Well, when they became TLC, Crystal was in the group. Yeah. T-Bot, yeah, because they were second nature in the beginning, but Chris, but L.A. Reid was like, nah, you got, you got to go. And then they ended up getting Chili in. And I think maybe this was right around when T-Boss and Left Eye, rest in peace, they did the cameos in Pebble's Backyard video. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and then Left Eye was from Philly, too. And, you know, I remember that day I'm looking at her and I'm like, man, you look so familiar. She was like, I'm from Logan. I was like, there you go. That Philly thing, man, and look around that time, man. Look, the boys have been blowing up, tears blowing. Philly was on fire, man. Mm-hmm. Philly was on fire. Now, speaking, and I went to school with a cousin. Now, speaking of Philly, do you remember this co-ed group that was signed to Mercury called Small Change? Man, I met Small Change that night too. I thought they were so dope they, and very underrated. Man, listen, that lead, that lead singer, oh, super bad. I mean, they could all sing, you know. Don't get it twisted; they could all sing, man. But um, Philly was on fire, man. Yes, they were signed to Murphy Records. Yep, yep. Dope, dope group. I thought they were severely underrated. Oh, and it was a unique concept because you didn't really see a lot of teen co-ed groups. You still don't. Exactly. And and listen, listen, listen. It's like talking to you is like looking in the mirror, bro. <laughs> I know, man. Hey, just like I'm a music nut. I grew up watching Video Soul, Soul Train, religiously. That was the only thing that could shut me up, my mom would say. But, you know, when you just... T- Chopping shop with music with people like yourself and people who I've had the chance to interview and them say, man, you know your stuff. You know, I take great pride in that. Because yeah, I don't want to come up, across man. like Salute. I'm a fan. You know what I mean? It's just my love I, and listen, I, 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 listen, I stay a fan at heart. And that, keep, that keeps my, my, my aura pure. You understand what I'm saying? Mm. That, that, keeps, that keeps my aura pure by staying a fan. Always right. remaining a fan. Right. So, you know, like sometimes, sometimes, sometimes I get so wrapped up in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just like, but if somebody sees me, they stops me, they stop, excuse me, they stop me. And I'm like, you know, hi, nice to, you know, and if I can get somebody to meet somebody, I always do it. I always do what I can, you know, and it it just, it just hurts me to know that I might not be able to do that anymore, you know, because of this COVID thing or whatever the case may be. That, that stuff like that just, just hurts me because part of that human experience is, is, it it motivates me to keep going on, to keep going, you know? Yeah, because you know, I always make this just just post, you know. But most most our average year for me, I mean, I don't even count. But every weekend, I'm on a plane going somewhere, and some people say to me, "Dang, I know you got to, you know, it's got to be messed up, you know." And I'm thinking, no, it's really not messed up because at the end of the day, you don't know what kind of toll that takes on my body. Uh, it, it's it's strenuous, it's stressful, and and imagine the artists. I sometimes come into town a day before artists. The artists land, they got sound check, they go to the hotel, they back at the venue, they perform, get drug here, drug there. And before you know it, first thing in the morning, back at the airport. 
you know, so a lot of cities, I go early sometimes because rest in peace, my friend Michael Holder, he used to tell me all the time, Troy, man, look, stop flying some place. Just, you know, sit back, relax, enjoy it. Take it in, enjoy it. And I started to do that. I, but now, as I started to do that, again, I didn't realize until uh, I told the story before, but I'm going to sum it up. It was last year. Uh, we were in uh, the Bay Area. And I was on stage joking around about to imitate Carlton, you know, when he always does Michael Jackson thing. So I'm in the background moving something. And the, the beat for If It Is Love come on. And I stick my head out and I'm like, you know, but I started doing the moves with Ralph. But I'm in the back enough that I don't think he sees me. As soon as I made a mistake, he was like, come on, Therese. I said, oh, you know, he sees me, you know. But I keep going or whatever. And, and Aaliyah from Allure, shout out to Allure, she um, was recording it, you know. And, and Karen White had saw it. She called me up and was like, yo, that was dope. And I thought I made an ass of myself. I was like, man, but you know what? I can laugh at myself. I don't care, you know. But she right. just said, yo, you know, this is somebody you admired your whole life. He's a yeah. friend, yeah. But this is somebody you admired your whole This is our living Michael Jackson. Troy, take it in, you know, and I and I had this, you know, at that point, that's when I had to be like, wow, you know what? And then and then it it, it kind of dawned on me too, like, oh my God, like my wall at home was my vision board. My I used to fight tooth and nail to um take my exacto knife and slither the, the pictures out of the uh, magazines and I would put them on my wall, all over my wall. And my father would take them down. And, 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 you know, my friend, you know, is like a brother to me, Simba Wallace, he can attest to this. As soon as my dad would take him down, my dad would sleep right back up. Man, that's crazy. And I guess, you know, looking at from this angle to this angle to this angle, and I mean, I sometimes I, I pinch myself or sometimes I just trip and be like, wow, you know, Karen Wright and Bobby Brown at the at war show over here. Oh, man, look, Ice-T and Darlene right here. You know, look, the Force of D's right here in the studio. You know, they go Janet over here and, you know, and then later on, I'm on the phone with all these people or, you know, I'm at an event, working an event with all these people. I just did an event with um with Ice-T uh, last week in uh, Tretch Naughty by Nature. Dope. Shout out to Naughty by Nature. Tretch did a lot of work with him throughout the years. Ice-T as well. Shout out to Mickey Benson. But with um with Ice, it's, it's, it's always funny because I was telling somebody, I said, that guy is three, three generational. He came into our house through me with the with the, with the Ron Pays and the Power album, the iconic Power album. Shout out to Darlene. That is iconic human, you know, hip-hop history. And my son loves him from TV. You know, and it wasn't even Law and Order. It was like Ice Loves Coco or something like that. Then my father liked him from uh, Law and Order. Which you see what I'm crazy. saying? So it's like, it's like three generations right there. Right. And the same thing goes for Will and Queen Latifah, LL, how... Everybody knows them for one thing or another. Now, I'm going to give you my story on New mm -hmm. Edition. I had a chance to have a brief interaction with Johnny Gill. He came to my neck of the woods to do like an afternoon TV concert, right? So mm -hmm. I, I was working at the local radio station at the time. And I had in my record collection the chemistry album and its self-titled debut album on Cotillion. Still in the plastic. Record ain't been played. And now someone's like, Johnny... And I showed him the record. He got a kick out of it. He was gracious enough to sign them, take a picture. And I'm trying to keep my cool this whole time. And I said, man, right. big fan of your work and new edition. You guys deserve everything you get and everything. And he was very gracious and very humble about it. Now, what was your take on the Heartbreak album and the addition of Johnny coming in and how 
it meshed that whole direction of them wanting to go from boys to men, literally and figuratively. All right, let me just say this. That that album represents so much. I always use that as the landmark for groups when they hit that point, because here was a time when, you know, little did we know, the fans didn't know that that was almost the end of the dish as we know it, or just in general, you know, because prior to any heartbreak, Rock was out, he was going. You know, as you as you watch the movie, you 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 see what happened, but we didn't know Rock was going. You know, um, they go to Jam and Lewis was like the Jacksons come to Philly. You see what I'm saying? It was it was. I looked at the parallels and I was like, oh, this is amazing. I looked at the love that they got from the fans. I looked at the love that any heartbreak tour was. I always tell people this: Triumph tour, the Off Love tour, and any heartbreak tour. After seeing that, those things right there, it was like, I've been to Mecca. I've been in Jerusalem. You understand what I'm saying? Musically, you can't tell me nothing after that, you know? So um, let me just say that that Any Heartbreak album, I'm going to tell you, I bought that record. Uh, you know, I had my little, you know, little allowance, whatever. I bought that record. Then I bought the tape. And then the CD came out. The CDs were relatively new. Bad was the actual first compact disc that I actually purchased. And, but Any Heartbreak was the one that I bought the album vinyl. I bought the cassette. I had, if it's on 12, all the 12 inches, whatever. But let me just say this from start. I mean, I, any heartbreak, it, it holds a very, very, very special place in my uh, my heart, musically, sonically. Um, Jam and Lewis, you know, they, they did their thing and gave them a new identity. But I just remember my reaction when I heard Johnny on That's the Way We Live. And, you know, it starts off, and I'm well, all things must change in here. Just as no addition has been rearranged. You're like, whoa, who was that? You know what I mean? Like, oh man, you know, and it was like, when he started singing, I said, what the, you know, I'm like, oh my God, like, yo, you know, like, right. can you stand around? I'm like, oh my God, then you know, he comes from the end of um, um, coming home and him and Roy Ralph going back and forth. I'm just like, yo, this is magical here. And then, Come to find out, he didn't even like the song Boys the Men. And I'm like, if that wasn't the, the greatest closeout ever, you know, I'm like, yo. And Any Heartbreak was a concept album. And it, and it stuck true to the concept. Um, I always use this 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 thing, and I'm not going to go off topic, but in the song competition, and when it says competition is the world summarized in one word, and you know what I mean? It means compete with friends. Will it ever end? I'm losing all my patience. I need a way out. Now, I'm, I'm just going to explain something. I came from one of the greatest eras. Everybody, you know, my, my elders like to say, oh, was this was that? But I think I came from the greatest era because we we had two of the biggest icons who inspired generations who inspire children who ain't been born yet. Um, rest in peace, Prince. Rest in peace, Michael Jackson. I look at it like, for what Michael Jackson did for all the music for the world, and the whole time him and Prince was here, all you could do was compare them to. Instead of looking at the gift that God bestowed upon these two, and they had the ability to give it to the world. And for their story to just be written off, oh, he was on drugs, he was on drugs. Boo, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to curse. But let me just say this, man. I mean, I, I hate when I see this person versus this person, because look, man, it look. Tomorrow I guarantee you, know, man, enjoy the gifts. You don't have to compare people. You don't have to 
put somebody down to pick somebody up. If you like something, you like something. We just got to learn in this world to accept and respect people's opinions. Period. Point blank. Right. Why should why should anybody be compared in music? You can't do it because it's a business. You would have to look at this person promotional marketing campaign. You have to look at what was record and retail like at that time to try to compare. You know, it, it's it, who's who are the who is the publicist? You see what I'm saying? You got to look at all these things and compare and prepare all these scenarios. And 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 like I said, all we know is what we like. And if you don't like it, something's wrong with you. You know, like I said, we had. Hell, think about it. We had Lionel Richie, Michael Jackson, Prince, killing it. You had Whitney Houston, Janet Jackson, Anita Baker, killing it. Why, why do you need to compare them to this apples and oranges? Yep. Everybody entitled to who they like. And just to get on my soapbox for a quick second, social media makes it a lot easier to just only get with people that are like-minded like yourself and you're not able to understand and respect somebody's viewpoints that's different from you right right and and my thing is this um i remember uh shout out to the rapper jalil he said you know music is music by any name but give a call a rose what you want but it smells the same you may like opera you may like pop you may like reggae and you might like rock you may like opera which i think is junk you know you may like you know uh jazz or you might like funk you know it is what it is, man. Whatever floats your boat. Right. It's room for everybody. It's right. room for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I remember. I agree. Yeah, and, and look, to take to take you back, which I think is funny and how karma works and, and how the universe works is that girl that uh, I remember I was chasing around in high school that I was so in love with. I remember she loved that kissing game by high five. You know, and you know how when you be like, wait, go catch boys. Corny. You know what I mean? You know, like, but that song is kind of hot. And, uh, you know, a year later, two years later, whatever, I'm hanging out with the boys and feeling like, thanks, dude, sorry. <laughs> and that, that's so crazy. Now, back to, yeah, look, now look, back to the heartbreak album. Yeah, 20-something years later, I follow my brothers. You know what I mean? Man, that's <laughs> like, that's crazy. See how things work now. Now, back to the heartbreak album. I thought it was so perfect how Jam and Lewis sequenced that album to where you heard Johnny and Bits and Pieces on the first half of that album, but that back half, they really incorporated Johnny, and I felt that them working with Alexander O'Neill gave them a template on how to work Johnny into a group and how his voice can complement Ralph. But here's here's, here's a a funny thing. Not only do you know that Alexander O'Neill had two weeks to finish that album and all I know not the all excuse me that hearsay album mm. two weeks he recorded that album and that was the perfect album that was you know because he had some court things he had to handle that was court you know mm. like court appointed so Clarence Avon sent him down you know sent him over there and they were like oh so you got a new addition waiting over here working with Lisa Keith and Jelly Bean you know recording like supernatural and, and crucial right Mm. And Alexander O'Neill is over there knocking out songs like Tupac. Wow. You know, that's crazy. I never knew that because when I hear Sunshine, to me, it's like a precursor to Can You Stand the Rain. Well, Sunshine, look at it like this. It it probably was something where they say, hey, come on, man. You know, what, what he got that too. You know what I'm saying? Because like I even think of um, believe it or not, I always think of All True Man. I think that sounds like a Ralph song. Mm-hmm. It, right in the vein of sensitivity and just don't you know it, it's 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 you know 
you know, I, maybe it's the way he say, if you need a man strong and sensitive, anything you need, I will surely give, you know, or um, sometimes I think about the way Ralph say, if it's in love, he sounds like Alexander O'Neill. He does that, hey, you know, and I'd be like, damn, Alex could sing that song, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, he probably couldn't move like Ralph, but you know. <laughs> right, but the crazy thing about Ralph though, I wonder why MCA did not release Girl I Can't Control It as a single. I'll be sure, Kyle West, they don't get enough credit for their contributions. Shout out, shout out to Kyle West and shout out to I'll Be Sure. But you want to hear something funny? Go ahead. Um, you leaving out somebody. KC wrote that. KC co-wrote that song. Mm, I did not know that. Shout out to KC, JoJo, Dalvin, Devontae, Jodeci from My Neck of the Woods, NC. Yeah, so yeah, Casey Haley, um, and and he's woo woo. He's doing the backgrounds, and everything. Yeah, and one of the girls from um the group, the uh, the girls, the girl. Yep. Was it? Uh, I think her name T- is Tabitha. Terry. Terry. Was it? Was Maybe. It Terry? It, 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 was it Terry, another girl? With a, it's Terry, Monica, and Tara. Those three were the girls, and then all right, it's, Monica. It's one of the Monica and Terry later on went to become a duo, Monica and Terry, and they co-wrote Can't You See for Total. Wow. Shout out to them. Shout out to them. But they co-wrote that for Ralph Tresvant along with KC and Brittany Ralph that wrote that, produced by Kyle West. Yeah, Kyle West break it down. And I'll be sure was the opening act on the Heartbreak Tour. And it's just crazy. No, Bobby, Bobby on the first leg, Bobby was the opening act. And then they did the second leg, and then you know they had to push it, you know, and, and, and flip it. But um, shout out to Albie Shore; he was a trooper. Mm-hmm. You know, he uh, and, and listen, and listen, and not for nothing. On that first leg in Philly, he did his thing. You know, he, he definitely did his thing. Them girls was going crazy. Mm-hmm. Now Bobby, Bobby, we would be Bobby, remiss if we did not talk about Teddy Riley and Guy. Well, let's say I would be remiss if I didn't say Teddy Riley, Timmy Gatlin, and Guy. How about that? Of course. Can't of forget course. about Timmy. Can't forget about Timmy. Yeah, can't forget about Timmy. For those of y'all listening or, or watching this, Timmy Gatlin is the brother on the album cover. His name is Timmy Gatlin. That is not Damien. Shout out to Damien Hall, but Damien Hall did not perform on that first album at all. That was none other than Mr. Timmy Gatlin. And you can check out my throwback interview with Timmy Gatlin. Also, the Jack podcast about the history of New Jack Swing, which just dropped today as of the recording of this podcast to get your New Jack Swing history. Boom. There you go. What is that? Wonderly, right? Wonderly? Yeah, Wonderly. Yeah. And I saw that and I thought, oh, my God, that looked just like I thought it said Wonder Troy. I'm like, oh, oh, wait, that's Wonderly. (laughs) Yeah, but it's crazy how the impact of hip hop and R&B. Meshing together. Check this out, right? Go ahead, go ahead. Check go this ahead, out. Go ahead, go ahead. All right. There, there was this thing, right, where I always say that, you know, it was two voices that changed the game. It was Johnny Gill and it was Aaron Hall. Aaron Hall's voice, the, the, what God did, it was a surge of just, this is, this is, this is, and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, I don't think that would ever be recreated. And uh, shout out to Aaron Hall, a good friend of mine, and I did a lot of work for Aaron throughout the years. Um, even like two years ago on the, uh, Oh man, what was the name of that tour? Shout out to G Square Promotions, but uh, I, I the back, I man, I can't remember the name of the tour, but you know, we did a, I did a lot of cities with um with Guy. Um, I was at Teddy Star ceremony as well. Um, with um, with with Guy, um, Timmy Teddy was in a group prior called Kids at Work. Mm-hmm. Timmy was working at uh, uh, Mr. Strauss. He meets Aaron Hall. And Aaron Hall's like, you know, he has a speech impediment and he's telling me we want to sing for him and everything. He sings for Timmy. 
Timmy's like, yo, you know, they end up quitting, boom. They start writing the songs, which became the guy album. They go to Teddy for the, you know, for the sound. And they, Timmy got the bass, you know, Aaron is multi-talented on, on whatever instrument needs to be played. Teddy had the hip hop, he had the drum programming, he had the keys, and it was like the perfect cohesion. And in that apartment in Harlem, they made magic. Yes, <laughs> they, they made yes, they magic. did. Man, it's crazy because also another album within the New Jack Swing era that was a landmark shift was Key Sweat's Make It Last Forever. Because if you think about it, prior to that album and Guy's album, R&B and hip hop was on two separate sides of the room. But it wasn't until well, those well, two well, well, now here we go to another portion of my life. Uh, shout out to the Force and D's because they were the actual first group in music history to combine the two. Um, then you would later have uh, Full Force Full do Force, it from a band mm -hmm. perspective. But the Foursome Ds were actually the first group to combine the two. And um, the New Jack Swing, that's what I love because it was an element you left out. Gospel is also involved in New Jack Swing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah. That, I mean, you know, it's just, it's just that what, what came out of, I mean, Teddy, what, what he did, he just, he just, he, he took that to a whole nother level. And like I said, that's a genre unto itself and you know it's pockets of this world i've been into from korea to japan where they play nothing but new jack swing it's 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 unbelievable right and the force mds man their impact on the industry they took r&b hip-hop doo-wop and it sounds so pretty so lush gave jamie lewis their first pop hit with tender love and they cut yeah. their teeth performing I on the staten island ferry yeah, doing doing uh, like a vaudeville Vegas type style act, you know, beatboxing. Jesse D, shout out to Jesse D. Um, he hit me up the other day, but Jesse was undocumentedly the first human beatbox. You know, Dougie said it himself even on the documentary, like Jesse was doing it before him. Um, Jesse Jesse D was probably, you know, history probably won't tell it, but, you know, just let it be known that he was probably one of the most talented, you know, e ever to perform, you know, uh, um, Stevie D was probably one of the first, if not the first, freestyle rapper because he never wrote nothing down. Everything he did was always off the top of his head. You had TC, who was like a modern day Sam Cooke, Smokey Robinson. You know, mm -hmm. he had that 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 tenor. He had that falsetto. I mean, he was just amazing. These guys made, you know, tears. You know, let me love you. It's a four scratch, which was, you know. B-boy, hip-hop, breakdancing, pop. And I mean, it, it had all elements of everything, plus a little Vegas, you know, act with the impressions, things like that. But their contribution to music can never be forgotten. Never. I mean, because you, you never saw a group that could do that much hardcore stuff and then turn around and sing a ballad better than anybody else. Or better yet, acapella harmony, but real harmony. Shout out to Tristo. Rest in peace, brother. Um, that baritone, man, listen, them, them dudes, they really had that doo-wop thing down. I mean, because I didn't see nights where mics would go out, they'd be three microphones, two microphones, they didn't give a damn. They perform, you know, like it was, you know, they would do stuff that the average group just wouldn't do. You know, they'd be like, oh, I'm not doing that. You know, that's not the contract. I'm doing. They were like, oh, let's go. Nope, the show <laughs> must go on. It must go on. Yep. Now, I want to talk about Troop real quick. Attitude is my... Other favorite album, along with Heartbreak, they did a performance on Arsenio for I'm Not Suit. And at the end of the performance, New Edition pops out and gave Troop their props. Let me tell you something. If there was ever a person in life who was happy 
to have failed their algebra test. You're looking at them right here. My brother was, you know, we sitting at the, at the table and he's showing me the stuff to go over there for the test. And Arsenio's like, they're here, ladies and gentlemen. After all the countdown of I'm not soup coming, he was like, ladies and gentlemen, Pasadena home, you know, true. Roof, 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 roof. My eyes was fixated on that TV and I had recording the VCR. Man, I saw them do that lane and they all had those different color blazers when they had the black pants. So when you watched it on TV, it kind of looked like their body was moving and their legs didn't never move. You know, it was like the biggest illusion ever. And I just said, these guys are it. They're professionals. They, they got the performance of like, you know, people light years behind me. You know, they were just so amazing, right? And the season would just come out there at the end, just, I was done. And I failed the test the next day. And I was happy. But it was it was worth was it, happy. though. That was, that was my life. That was my life. But check this out, right? Attitude, just, you know, because uh, the first music video I did in school was all I do is think of you. Um, you know, and shout out to the Jackson 5. Troop definitely, definitely made that song their own. But I think that Deeper was bigger for me um, musically, just because, you know, Steve got a chance to stretch it out. They got a chance to write and produce and everything like that. Um, and I... But I think Atlantic Records definitely dropped the ball with that album. But I'm glad it's on iTunes now. And, you know, I got it again. I got a CD that's still wrapped up in the in the long cardboard, you know. Yeah, long ways. Yeah, yeah, the long joint, yeah. I still got one of that. I got a, a loose one, you know. But um, I um, Attitude definitely was probably the most successful one for them. But, you know, I like Deeper just on so many levels. I mean, with Antoine, Demet with Demetrius Ship. With him and Steve was able to come up with man that 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 was right on the, the cusp of the dangerous New Jack sound and when Teddy reinvented New Jack swing with Michael Jackson, you know he took when he went with Mike, you know you listen to Remember the Time man that's just you know New Jack swing 2.0 you know. Mm -hmm. And I agree. Now I'm gonna give you all a little bit of a fun fact about the Troops Attitude album. It was one the first production credits for a young producer that we mentioned earlier, Dallas Austin, who later worked yeah. on Boyz II Men, the Cooley High, Harmony, Cooley High Harmony album, and did Aisha for ABC, and then Trent Reznor, yes, Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails, was engineer on the Attitude album, who just recently got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with Nine Inch Nails. Oh, congrats. Shout out, shout out to Trent Reznor, that's what's up. Um, shout out to Dallas Austin, because Dallas Austin was a kid. He was a kid, uh, you know, he was a kid working with boys and men. Mm -hmm. And who brought him in the game was Joyce Fenderella Irby from Joyce Comics. And she yeah, also and discovered Sammy and Lloyd. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And they was in that group. In, in tune. Uh, in tune. Yep. Uh, um, shout out to Joyce Irby uh, because if you listen to I Will Always Love You, you take Alan and Steve out and you can hear her voice, you know, literally. And listen, let me tell you how good Joyce Irby is. Joyce Irby is the one that discovered John John voice. She, she's the one that discovered John John sing. If it wasn't for her, he would have never got a chance to open his mouth other than the background. Wow. Yeah, Joyce I think Irby I kind of remember John John telling me that when I interviewed him that she was like, hey, why don't you sing more? Yeah, she said, you know, when, it, when, that, when I would always love you, she was like, because um, the other song they did was My Love, which one of my favorite songs, Madison Dabble. Um, but on I Will Always Love You, which that part where he says, you know, my love will stand the test of time. And you, she was like, whoa, 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 like, what the hell? We got this Johnny Gill thing going on here. Like, what the, why, you know? And she was like, she the one that called up Chucky, called up Gerald, said, yo, John John, you know, got to start using them. So it was a beautiful thing, man. 
beautiful right. thing, man. And you know, it's just funny too. But man, shout out to Alan, man. I mean, Alan, Alan's voice is just that. That is, he, he, he. You know, you, you know, we can always, oh, you know, he's kind of got. But his man, that what he got on his voice, man, that is just amazing. Right. You know, it is rare. It's rare too that you can, you, you know, always say whenever you can, um, you hear somebody's voice, and no matter where you at, you hear it. You say that's, you know, that's. That is an amazing thing because that means you you out of every you have something unique, you know. Right. And shout out to Stephen Russell. Stephen Russell is uh, you know, produced what a whole damn decade of hits. You know what I mean? Hell R and B down for tens of fifteens of years, you know? Yeah, <laughs> facts, facts. Cause when I interviewed Steve, he told me how Gas to Be for BTK came about because I guess they had a Sony yeah. was a fan of Troop and was like, yo, we want a song that sounds like Troop. Cause we got this young R&B group that we're really trying to push, and that became B2K. Then later, that's the reason why I yeah, love said, all those said. records were like troop records. Yeah, what was the A&R guy over there at um, Sony? They kept shouting him out on the records all the time. Um, can't recall and, the name. Huh? Can't recall the name of who the particular A&R was, but he was smart. Yeah, everybody, to get Steve everybody to was shouting him out on all the records. But he, um, he told Steve, he said basically, like if you could, um make a song that Troop would make right now, you know, and Gossip B was that song. Um, uh, he he had uh, hits on B2K, both albums, um, on Marianne. I mean, the list goes on and on with Steve. Marcus Russell's Houston, done. Chris Brown, George Sparks. I yeah. mean, the list goes on and yeah. on with his on credits. And on and on and on and on. Now, you and, mentioned um, Bobby V earlier, right? Now, I was talking it. with uh, Brandon Akira about maybe a little over a year ago, and he told me that they had a sophomore album ready to go, Mr. on East West. But I guess what happened was East West had folded and the album ended up getting shelved. Welcome to the music business. But Shout I thought Mr. Uh, was so underrated. Of course. Of course. Just the irony of uh, that being the last record Tupac listened to before he um, was shot. Mm, Blackberry Molasses, man. Mr. So Cold. So a lot of... 90s R&B groups very underrated. I thought Subway was very underrated, and they definitely yep. should have had more yep. juice. You know, this little game yep. we play, which was written, and I think it was it was produced by Gerald Levert as well, I believe. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Or was that Fire? Um, I think it's this little game we play. I'm not sure if Gerald did Fire or not. And I remember, I remember watching that video, right? And I'm looking at the girls, and I'm like, 702 came out. I'm sitting at the, in the, at the, because they, they actually, uh, the home again tour, 702 actually opened up. Wow. They opened up so early. I remember I thought they was going to sound check, and I was like, ooh, they just performed. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was with um, 702, all three members. Um, um, we did, I did a couple shows with them. Um, the Folk Fest in Atlanta last year, and we did, um, we were in, Cleveland as well. And it was funny too because uh um when they saw MC Brains, they're looking. I videotaped this because I was like, oh, this is gonna be a trip, you know. Mm. Uh, they're looking because when they saw when they remember MC Brains, they were yay big, you know. MC Brains they looked the exact same, you know, he ain't age either, you know. So it's the funniest thing. So they're like, Yo, I know you from somewhere. Like, you know, and it's it was it was just crazy because you know that's a little fifth fifth ten family thing right there, you know. Right. And the funny thing about MC Brains, it was maybe a year or so ago, Drake had sampled Boys to Men the sequel on one of his records, like the chorus part. And I thought that it was so dope to see Drake pay homage to what was started long ago with Michael Bivens and 
Biv 10, and I had a chance to also interview Aaron Kane, who was a member of the group Sudden Impact, who later changed their name wow. to White Guys, wow. later became guys. Outsiders yeah. for Life from VA. So mm-hmm. shout out to Aaron Kane and the rest of the guys from uh, Outsiders yep. for Life. I thought they were, they were so dope, had pushed. And then another guy who I felt was underrated as an artist, but everybody knows him now for his work behind the scenes, along with his brother is Bobby Ross Avila. So dope. Oh, oh, listen, listen, listen. For those who don't know yet, Bobby, Bobby was a young guy, music man for it back in the day when Perspective AM, uh Jam and Lewis had signed him on. They saw something to him. He was a little, little, uh, little maven, a little child prodigy. But Bobby Ross, uh, Ivy, like, you know, they they didn't work with everybody, man. I mean, but you know, if you, you that Usher Confessions album, check the credits. Shout out to him. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. And speaking of, we were talking about my provocative earlier and Aaron Hall. I believe Big Bud from today was singing backgrounds on my provocative. I believe that's Aaron Hall. That's Aaron Hall. He, not- he, he could have did it, but mm-hmm. let me just say this: the Dean Griffin situation was so messy that you know a lot it was, of people- it was kind of like misplaced credits. You never know who was doing what. Yeah, just like uh, when um, just got paid, ended up not making Keith Sweat album and end up going to Johnny Camp, you know, mm-hmm. it's all types of weird, you know. Urban legends. Yeah, and things not only up and up, but Keith Sweat wrote just got paid and just got, basically just got jacked, you know, not, not no, you know, rest in peace, Johnny Kemp, it wasn't Johnny Kemp's fault. You know, it was just like, uh, if you if you know the story about um, Timmy and Teddy, and, uh, if I'm not your lover, for I'll be sure, but they also did You Can Call Me Crazy, which is on Guy's album. Mm-hmm. By her, it was originally for I'll Be Sure, though, right? It was, yes, yes. But Gene Griffin took it back. And I'll Be Sure and Timmy Gatlin's voices are together on the first verse. And then it's just all Timmy on the second verse. But yeah. Man, that is so crazy. And that shows you how you got to have your business tight because if it's not tight, then it may be a sad story. So it's definitely good to see how now a lot of the younger artists they're studying the business knowing like point yeah, structure yeah. royalties copyright mm-hmm. and you definitely know what in perpetuity means i'm going to tell you right. what in, in, perpetuity, perpetuity. in perpetuity means if you don't know it means forever so siempre siempre in spanish siempre yep forever and and listen let, let me just say this too um you know, I've been to fly on the wall. I've been in a lot of meetings. I sat back, heard, listened, but you know, they just saw me as a photographer. So I was able to always give a lot of good advice and sound opinions when asked, you know, because sometimes you can give too good of advice and then you become a threat. You know, if everybody's eating off somebody and you see something, you know, you like, ah, ah, you know, don't, you know, don't, you know, mm. you, you've got to be careful how you do things. But, um, you know, I know a lot of things and a lot of artists don't realize that after 30 years, you can reclaim all ownership to everything that you recorded it, it, it's it's your property and you just really got to study the state laws of where you sign those contracts at but you know after 30 years you know all things are supposed to return to those are a lot of family members are missing out monies and things of that nature and missing out on um things that should be theirs because there's no corporation that's owned the works of the few family members and family members after those contracts expired and after those laws of copyrights and things like that have expired, you know. 
that um, I never knew because you know what we have going on yep. right now with um Taylor Swift because you know Scooter Braun sold the masters for her five original albums that she did on Big Machine and she's re-recording her early catalog so that she can right. have ownership of her masters and it just goes to show you that Prince was on to something when he was saying hey do it yourself you know having yeah. these issues with Warner Brothers well think about it like this right um the Taylor Swift thing, you know, I you know, I never really understood what happened. I, I always thought just assumed she was signed to a label. Um, during the days of standard contracts, I thought she was signed to a label. So I'm thinking, how would somebody else have the power to was it her ma it, it wasn't her masters, it was her publishing catalog, I'm assuming, or something to that extent. It, it couldn't be her masters because the corporation that distributed that was I mean, uh, the uh, holder of them, and I don't mm. think they could go free and easy or just be. Right. You know, and off the rip, check this out. If you're in your home recording a record and you're good enough to mix down and, and create a final copy, it's yours. But if you go to the record company and they take it and get you a couple of dollars and then press it up and give you a couple more dollars eventually down the line, nine times out of ten, you didn't relinquish the power and control of that to them. Um, off the rip, nobody really walks to their own when they masters, you know, because again, if you got your masters, you want to relinquish them. Why am I going to invest millions of dollars into you to potentially lose? So, mm. just standard business practices is master recordings. You know, whatever. It's the publishing that's the the, the the liquid money that you you usually try to hold on to, and it's a stake or whatever. But after thirty years, they can't hold on to those masters anymore. You file a paperwork and you go, you know, get them back. Right. You I know? never and knew that. that. Yeah, now listen, another funny thing is too is like with a lot of this time, a lot of times when people sign bum publishing deals and or, or, or situations where they get ripped out of this and jerked out of this, a lot of times what happens is you'll get sampled and a lot of those contracts have nothing to do with the sample, meaning that now you're gonna get paid for something, you know. You're gonna get you're gonna get something, you know. But again, what I noticed about this business was this, because I, I could go into something I probably ain't even, you know, I probably shouldn't even talk about. But let's just say this. One thing that I noticed amongst our people is we will get jerked and watch somebody else get jerked and we'll never pump the brakes and be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Is your paperwork in order? Is your paperwork in order? Did you make sure this, make sure that? Nobody ever does that. Nobody freely volunteers and stuff, you know. Think right. about this on a hammer on, on a hammer chore. The um, it was Boys the Men, Jodeci, TLC. You know the numbers that they those guys did. They all did, and mm -hmm. what they all got in common is that somebody got wise, somebody got hit. Monte Hire sure got Jodeci straight. Mm -hmm. TLC got left out to dry. You know, right. Yeah, that's why you gotta like look at your paperwork, man. Because well, when you can look at your paperwork, you can look at your paperwork, but check this out. You can look at your paperwork, but if you don't know what the hell you're reading, you're just looking at the paperwork. <laughs> right. You, you gotta me? know what's what's being talked about because if you don't, you're gonna get robbed blind. Because to relate to Backstreet Boys in sync, when they signed their deal with Lou Pearlman, it was in the contract where he was one six of both groups and he was caking off of what they were doing. And I'm like, hold on. That's, that's what Gene Griffin did. That's what Gene Griffin did with Guy. He was assigned himself as a member, manager, and 
production house. Now, the crazy thing about Guy, you know, we're going to go back. I'm going to get right back on Luke Perlman in a second. Um, did you notice that logo is Guy with the Griffin with the Griffin logo? Yeah, I, the, I never the, I never understood what was that. So what was the connection with that? That was Gene Griffin, just insignia on top of Guy, like, boom, I'm the owner. Like, this is mine. Like, is this the same insignia the for GR Productions? Well, no, listen, a griffin is the lion with the wings. Uh-huh. That is that is actually, it's Guy, and then it's got that thing. If you look at the first album, that is on there because, you know, and I just thought, how gangster is this? Like, who the hell manager is going to be, you know, on top of the artists? You know what I mean? I'm just right. like, wow. Right. But that was some real pimp stuff. And, that, and again, the way Guy was written, that was all Timmy, man. That was all his vision and everything. And Jane Griffin just 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 came in there and just destroyed, you know. And then look, it got to be crazy because you start seeing GR Productions on this by Jane Griffin, and Jane Griffin ain't never produced nothing. Mm. Yeah, never how are you gonna nothing. take credit for something you you've never done? You weren't in the studio producing everything like that, and you're gonna entitle yourself to one whatever cut of the monies when that's supposedly not supposed to be not even yours. Hey, bro, that's that's gangsterism at its finest. <laughs> right. Yeah, gangsterism at its finest. But right. Lou Pearlman, Lou Pearlman, Lou Pearlman watched the new kids in the block and was just infatuated. So that's what he wanted. He wanted to recapture that mystique. And he invested his money because, you know, he had the Transcontinental Airlines. He invested his money. And that's what he wanted to create. Unfortunately, that dude was a freak, nasty pedophile. And uh, you know, right where he belonged. Yep. Um, Yep. And, and they it were all unravel. And, you know, the sad thing about it was he hit lightning in the bottle twice with both groups and he couldn't be satisfied. He Britney Spears too. Yep. Yeah. Britney was, was signed to Transcon. And, Old Town, C-Note, everybody, man. He had a machine. Yeah. But like I said, with everything that came out after the fact, it just tainted that whole era for me. Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put an asterisk on it. <laughs> yeah. Put the asterisk like the, like the home run recommend. But as we yeah, all... Yep. As we all know, within the music industry, you got some shady figures that probably had some dirty money floating around or use some shakedown tactics. And it's a right. rarity where you can find somebody in the biz that is clean, clean. that's going to yeah. tell you the truth and be like, hey, don't mess with this guy. He's bad news. He's going to try to jerk you, rip you off. Yeah. And even if that does happen, nine times out of ten, them lose and be like, yeah, yeah, you're right. What do I sign? You know? <laughs> Yeah, but that's where you got to take the blinders off and say, this is a business first. I'm not signing anything without having proper representation and knowing what's in this contract. No, that's true. But unfortunately, creative people really don't like to talk business. You know, they don't. Creative people like to create and be free and do what they do. And sometimes, you know, but again, like I said, it's called the music business and they got staff that has to be paid. They expect big checks every week or every other week. However, and, you know, you know, it's, it's commerce, all in all, it's commerce and, you know, it's a business and you got to feed the beast sometimes, you know? Right. Yeah, I understand but that. So how have it's, you... It's, it's, it's definitely not set up for the artist to win. And even when they do win, like you look at Prince, what do they do? They say, oh man, you know what, come in here, Prince. We love you. This is great. This is beautiful what you're doing. Let's get you a label deal. Let's get you this. Let's get you that. And, and you know what, here, take this bag of money, all these millions of dollars and boom. And they know right when to pull the plug to slow you up so you didn't spend all this money and extended yourself to say, oh man, you know, uh, this album didn't do this, what we expected on this, and we, you know, we advanced your dad. And, and, and then uh, reel you right back in, you know. Right. 
Yeah, because it, it, it happens to the best of them. From mm-hmm. Rick James, Prince to Michael. I mean, unfortunately, I mean, fortunately, you know, Michael outsmarted Sony, you know, by, you know, when he purchased the Beatles catalog, he um, took half of Sony's catalog for half of the Beatles catalog. Mm-hmm. He took a $25 million investment and turned that thing into a billion plus over. You know? Right. Man, and that's crazy where you learn while you're at the seat at the table and then you use what you've been hearing to your advantage and say, hey, I'm going to take this, flip it to this, and then all of a sudden words start getting like, hey, you need to do it this way so that you can have blah, 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 blah. Now, also, if you can do this really well, you can eat good because if we look at yeah. like Beyonce, Steve, as we mentioned, you can eat off of a good songwriter catalog if you can write hits consistently. Yeah, yeah. I remember this, man. I just remember they loved Michael Jackson and it was all love. Once he became a master, once he came, he, listen, because you know that Beatles catalog, that's just a portion of what was in there. He had Little Richard, Sly and the Family Stone. So think about it. You ever wonder if Janet had to ever clear that sample for, for uh, Rhythm Nation? Because that mm-hmm. I like to thank you for letting me be myself. That thing played in Shrek. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, um, he took Little Richard and gave Little Richard his catalog back. Little Richard was literally down and out in Beverly Hills. He was trying everything, you know, because this is the game they played. You know, they duped him out of his uh, his, his his catalog by um, when Little Richard wanted to do gospel, and they would not let him out of the contract. And uh, they said, "Sign over everything, and we'll let you go." He did it, and you know, he couldn't eat. You know, mm-hmm. Michael gave him gave him his um catalog back, put his crown, put the crown right back on him. You know, architect of rock and roll gave him his gave him his T square and his uh copper. You know what I mean? Gave him his gave him his T square and his equipment. To go back, you know, to continue drafting, man. So he just, you know, mm-hmm. you know, this is this is what they don't tell you, you know, um, when they did the uh, King Celebrate and all those rappers and singers got together and did the Doctor uh, Martin Luther King celebration. Prince footed the whole bill for the video and everything. Yeah, I, I heard that that he came up out of out of pocket for that. Yeah, every every entertainer. From the most time era that passed away, Michael Jackson covered their funeral expenses, took care of their family. You know, just the stuff he did. He ain't run around with no news camera saying, "Oh, look what I did." No, he just handled it. You he know, was, he was quiet. Yeah, he was. Man, he was. Look, the lady that wrote ain't nothing but a hound dog. He made sure she got her money. The family got money, just to say, you know. But again, mm-hmm. it was a black woman who wrote that song that Elvis stole. And that's the stand-up thing about, you know, like you said, Michael made sure that folks were taken care of. Like, Little Richard got his catalog back because, as we know, back in those days, those contracts were ruthless, especially if you were Black trying to get into the music business that you were... If you were trying to get into the ownership aspect, that's when it really got you because you had Sam Cooke. Oh, sorry. You Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? And this guy owned his publishing. Mm. You know, it's almost he, like he, they'll he, let he, you in, but you can't make too many waves. Exactly, not a ripple. Exactly, 
It's like I look at now when I look at with streaming, I look at it and say, wow, they really set this thing up so there'll never be another Master P. Yeah, but to think about what Master P did, 80-20 split, total priority. I'm 80% of my own profits. You get 20. When I put out, I'm about it. Sell them at $10 a tape. Sell $2 million, I get to keep all the money. I don't have to split it with you. Listen, and, re and remember, he learned it from a retail perspective and went all out. That's what I do would put a record out. If it was done, he could put a record out whenever he wanted. You know, everybody else tell me, oh, I got a label. I got a label. You got a label that's backed by a corporation that's, you know, they got release dates where they only allow this amount on this quarter and this amount on that quarter and things like that. And again, that, that corporation is paying your staff. And when it's time for you to be like, oh, we sold this amount of records, they say, well, man, we're looking at our um, whisper jigs here. Well, you know, it costs this amount, this amount, you know, and it's like reality is, you know, you ain't really running no label, you know? Mm -hmm. Master P, he, he really did the damn thing. But the way they got this thing set up the stream, and I always say, who's controlling the streams? Who's programming the streams? You're still being programmed, but there's really nothing coming back. Right. It almost feels like it's the same game, but a different space where you still got to pay to play to get your numbers up. You just got to know you got to go to the right people to get your impressions up. And that's how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a weird game. But again, it's, it's set up basically so there'll never be another Master P. That's why when Master P did what he did, Universal ran and grabbed cash money. You see what I'm saying? Mm, don't make don't make too many ways because if you go indie, do it yourself, sell units, you got the leverage to come to them. And they're like, oh, we don't want to get in that position to where we're not eating most off of the plate. Mm -hmm. We want to eat all of the plate and leave you nothing <laughs> but crumbs. Yes, exactly. Beg it for scraps. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And that's the thing you got to realize about this game. Everybody gets paid before you do. Everybody's going to eat before you do. Because the way Left Eye broke down that contract, that TLC signed, mm -hmm. I was impressed with all of the math and to see how they only ended up with this much and didn't really have much to show for it. Just goes to show you like, man, you're not really yes, making that, that much of money once everybody gets their cut and you got to split yeah, he, the money he, X amount of ways. <laughs> It was the crazy thing about that contract, bigger than anything else. Now, you had Left Eye who was making cameos on other people's records and writing for this artist, doing this, that, and Pebbles was taking everything. She had a fucking, excuse me, she had a master songwriter contract on Left Eye. I never so, knew that. Yeah, bro, it was, it was disgusting, bro. I, I, I listened, I knew, seen some things, I heard some things, but this was extreme. She was getting paid off, left out in her sleep. Man, that's crazy when you're making money off somebody else while you sleep, man. And that's the whole thing. Like I said earlier, if you find a stand-up person in the business, it's it's a rarity because it's full of wolves and sheep's clothing. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it was like, man, I remember I read, you know, just, you know, looking at the elder statesmen, and I had a, a chance to meet at, at a new edition um, on one of the tours. We were in Las Vegas and I met uh, Ernie Singleton, who's like, you know, Vanguard, last of the, last of the, last of the, uh, of the, of the, of the Mohicans from that era, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, I remember just sending him an email after everything was over with, sent him a bunch of pictures and everything and told him how good it was to meet him. And just thinking, I wish I would have met him earlier. You know, I wish mm -hmm. I would have met him earlier because I think he would have been a great mentor 
you know, uh, because what the industry is missing people like him, you know, rest in peace, like Lil Solace Jr. and everybody, you know, but, but think about what new edition would be if it wasn't for Lil Solace Jr., you know? Mm, yeah, they signed that deal to Streetwise, had the dollar 87 cent, and then once they well, signed... Well, you got to negate that deal because they were children in the, in the projects. They didn't know nothing from nothing. I mean, if anything, whoever was supposed to be their manager at the time, you can blame them for that deal with Streetwise, but you you know, they won a contest. They didn't know no better. They were kids in the ghetto right. and, you know, that, that, that can happen to anybody, but you know, people get misconstrued because they say they got that dollar and several from that tour or whatever. I'm, you know, I call bull on and shame on those people who did that because it's, even if they had to take um, tutors out with them and chaperones, the whole shebang, if they, they, they were in the money because the force of these was right there with them. And that, I saw them show, man. I was at a lot of those shows. I know what the crowd was like and everything, and that's just impossible. So, you know, they, they were kids being taken advantage of. But once, um, you know, I guess it was Jump and Shoot Productions, and then um, they went to MCA, you know, there was really no looking back. You know, they may not have gotten what they, but they were, they were, they were good, you know? Right. <laughs> like, don't don't get it twisted. They were really no, no hard days, like, ah, you know, like that. You know, people, people, once they hear that, oh, they got ripped, you know, they think it's the whole ride. No, bro, they did any heartbreak tour. You know, I know what them numbers look like, you know, Awful. I mean, you know, the, the heat, the summer tours, and the, you know, yeah, right. And for me, New Edition, they got their star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. The only thing that's missing now is Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for New Edition. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And I know somebody is um, working on that. Uh, and you know, in due time, you know, it, it'll happen. It's coming. You know, it, it's coming. Yeah, New Edition is gonna get everything that they deserve tenfold. Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. By all means. Um, I remember, man, that was euphoric. And uh, it was only the love that that day it was raining. And I'm going to tell you something. I've been to other star ceremonies, but I ain't never seen nothing like when it was this. I was sick as a dog, man. I was hanging on by thread, brother. You know, that was 2017. Man, I might have had the first batch of Corona. Who knows? You know, I just knew I was like, oh, you know, and I'm at the juice bar, taking ginger shots and pineapple shots to the neck, you know what I mean? Doping myself up with, with, with flu, cold and flu medicine, and I'm out there, man, just hanging on by a thread, man, and I'm like, the love was just crazy, bro. It rained, and them fans was barking off the streets. They was lined up everywhere in the rain. Yeah, I saw the live stream. Music nonstop, and yeah. the any fans. There's nothing like any bro, fans. It's, it's a community. It's a family. It is, man, and I, I, I have, I have to say, man, they got the they got the greatest, they got the greatest fans in the world, man, and, and I'm just happy to um, know a lot of them or meet a lot of them. You know, we out, man. That that love is real, man. That love is real. Every city, every place we go, and thanks to social media all the time, you know, it's 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 a beautiful thing. And you know, I I'm just man, like I said, them brothers, you know, they were they were on my wall. They were um, one of, one of the greatest groups you know, in, in music history. They got history that a lot of other groups don't have. And, you know, so the guys, man, they still here. And I know when that when that shit come back in, you know, and it's, and it's ready to board up, man, everybody's going to get on board and they're going to, you know, right. show the world what it's hitting for, you know? Yeah, definitely that. And I want to give 
flowers to Brooke Payne, who I had the chance to interview. Now, I was surprised, first off, because Brooke rarely gives interviews. And a lot of the stuff that he was telling me in the interview ended up becoming in the miniseries. And Brooke, he is a genius from choreography, everything about him screens, professionalism, first class, and just important overall. So shout outs to Brooke Payne. Shout outs to Brooke Payne. Bistro. <laughs> the silent one, the seventh member of NE. And what's crazy about New Edition that I think we'll never see again in any group is that where can all members have success individually, come back together, have more success as a group, and still be loved and revered decades later and laid down the blueprint for the modern day boy band. Man, listen, I mean, shout out to Orchard Park, Cathedral, Boston. They produced, you know, the, the, the original five that, that that set the world on fire. Shout out to DC and, and Mr. Johnny Gill because those guys are just, uh, you know, the, the walking embodiment of um, professionalism and um, greatness and, 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 and musical, musical uh, excellence. Uh, shout out to Jamin Lewis. Um, shout out to Teddy Riley, Ellie and Babyface, the guys who, you know, who part of that soundtrack of everything we just mentioned. Uh, Star, you know, um, Vincent Bradley and Rick Timas, you know, uh, Michael Sam, Michael and David Sambello, you know, Ray Parker Jr., you know, to, to name a few of the producers that 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 helped create this just this, this, this um music that's gotten a lot of us over some 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 hard though depressing times. You know, music, that's the beautiful thing about music. Man, you could be feeling like crap and that song come on and take you to a place that you're just like, man, what was I, what was I mad about? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, that's so, the beautiful thing, man. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a beautiful thing, man, too. And it's and it and it's like um, you know, like I said, man, for me, it's like and all in all all in all, you know, working with, with new edition, because some some of my days would be like, you know, I look at the calendar and be like, okay, you got Johnny, Ralph, Ralph and John, RBR, you know what I mean, Bobby, you know, BBD, and I'm with all of these dudes, you know, city to city, you know. This is a beautiful thing, man. Right. And, I, thing. and I'm going to say it again on this podcast. Once everything is subsided with COVID, New Edition is going to get what they deserve in terms of all the accolades that big sellout stadium tour. They're going to get it tenfold because they are that loved, revered, and respected. Yes, indeed, man. Yes, indeed. And I, I said this in another interview, too. You know, and shout out to, um, Every promoter um, around the country, you know, just just hang in there, man. And as they say, this too shall pass. You know, everybody will be back. You know, Bobby D presents uh, Platinum Productions, OP Productions, G Square Productions, uh, the Art of Rap Tour. You know, we'll, we'll all be back. You know, it's just a you know. It's just a thing. We 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 gonna be all right. It's, it's just a, it's just an intermission. It's it's just it's a little just break in the action. Yeah. Just a little break in the action. Gonna be back better than ever now. Do you got any shout outs you want to give before we conclude this interview, bro? Yes, indeed. Um, I want to give a shout out to uh, Karen White. She's got a new artist named Akbar the Gate. He's um a brother right here. 
this brother's about 20, 21, 22. We got a single out right now called Young Righteous Black Girl. Um, the song is dope. The message is dope. In the world of WAP, <laughs> here comes a young brother, you know, speaking positivity and truth to power, which which I, I thoroughly appreciate. And um, his video was out, you know, you catch him on YouTube, but when you hear this record, you'll be like, wow, and I, I'm shocked to Karen White, because, you know, that's R&B royalty. And, you know, for her to be like, this is the one, and, you know, you know, I definitely got to stand up on it, stand behind it. Um, I want to give a shout out to Ralph Tresman. I seen his uh, docu-series on UMC, and uh, it was real touching. You know, a lot of stuff I knew, but, you know, I just don't talk about it, you know, but it was a, it was a, it was a real moving um, uh, documentary he did. Ricky and Johnny was on there. Um, but shout out to Ralph, man. Um, shout out to Troop. Shout out to the Force Indies. Full Force Bolegaloo. Uh, Mama Carmen, Bolegaloo's mother's birthday was yesterday. She just turned 84. Happy belated. Yes. my Look, look happy birthday to my nephew, Rennie. Um, my cousin, Soul. My cousin, Shawanda. You know, uh, Halima. Uh, Samira. Happy birthday, man. And listen. Um, everybody out there, the sound of my ear, whether you see it or hear this, um, please support R&B music, support real hip hop music, positive rap music that uplifts, uh, support R&B music, your favorite artists. It's cool to click the likes, it's cool to stream, but if you purchase the music, it sends a certain algorithm and they can keep making the music. It's gotta make sense, you know, but again, if somehow we had platinum records back in the day, you know, we should still be able to reach those people. And you, the fans, have the power to do it. So please continue to support. Uh, this is a different time. And, and check on your local, I mean, your, not your local, excuse me, check on your favorite artists. Go on social media. They might have T-shirts they're selling. They might be doing live shows. They got a cash app up. Support it. We've been, we, I mean, it's been shut down for some time and, Bills still got to get paid, you know? So please just keep that in mind and, and continue to support. And, and and you know, Jarrell, I, I thank you, brother. I truly, truly appreciate this, bro. This was like therapy, man. This was like therapy. This was like, you know, at some point I almost cried. But, you know, like I said, man, talking to you was like looking in the mirror and talking to myself, man. Yeah, Kendrick, Kendrick Spears, bro. I appreciate you taking the time and also plug your social media. Okay, yeah. So Wonder Troy, IG, Wonder Troy, Troy Hughes on uh, Facebook, and Wonder Troy at Twitter. All right, there you got it. Hey, you oh, can also, 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 I'm sorry. We got a, um, ooh, I got a book coming out, a poetry book coming out, and I got Wonder Tees t-shirt line coming out, uh, top of the year. All right. All right. <laughs> So be on the lookout for that. You know, I got to show support, show love. And you can catch this interview on all streaming platforms, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcasts, and the video version of this interview on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash J85. Check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the incredible man behind the click, 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 freeze frame, Wonder <laughs> Troy, Troy Hughes. Thank you so very much, bro, for coming on to Beyond the Album Cover with me. Thank you. I appreciate it.